0: Hey, Tony. Hey, Blake. What are, you, what are you doing in the podcast booth?
1: Today I'm filling in for Michael and Mary Jo, and to check out what this whole podcasting business is all about.
0: Huh? You usually prefer the written over the spoken word.
1: Well, you could say I'm adapting to a new medium. Oh, how timely. Indeed. In fact, we've been doing some pretty deep research on adaptive learning for the past six months. Really? Yep, and it's about time. Because for as long as I've been here at EdSurge, adaptive learning is just one of these buzzwords that just keep on making headlines and press releases.
0: Hmm, I, yeah, I can't say I really know what it means. It does seem like everyone is doing it though. I mean,
1: you can say that adaptive learning is a little bit like sex. Everyone thinks everyone else is doing it, so everyone says they're doing it too. But there are plenty of misconceptions and a lack of shared understanding about what it really means.
0: Uh, what?
1: In a way, adaptive learning isn't that new. Many of the tools we use, take Facebook and Twitter for example, they use algorithms that decide what content we see. And for the most part, we rarely question how these machines work. But I think the bar for transparency is much higher in education. Because after all, teachers, parents, and even students themselves want to know how these adaptive algorithms work.
0: Yeah, I'm still I'm still a little lost, can you give me like a teaser of what's in this black box of adaptive learning? Our research looks at how educators and
1: students are using adaptive learning tools in the schools and in classrooms. We also break down 22 adaptive learning products into three categories. And we've also got a quiz that you can take to learn which ones might work best for your needs.
0: Oh, that sounds so in-depth. I'm
1: excited to see it. Uh, haven't you seen it? We've been working on it for six months. It's right here, bit.ly slash EdSurge Adaptive. That's bit.ly slash EdSurge hyphen adaptive.
0: Okay, well, as soon as I learn how to click on your speech, I'll do that. It looks like I have some catching up to do. But first, we've got the EdSurge podcast. I'm Blake Montgomery, reporter at EdSurge.
1: And I'm Tony Wan, managing editor. Here's the roundup of this week's news. Coding in schools certainly has gotten its share of attention this year. And now the federal government is making a big investment. On January 30th, President Obama unveiled his Computer Science for All initiative, an effort to train computer science teachers and give students across the country the technical skills they'll need for college and career success. The government will provide $4 billion in funding for states and $100 million directly for districts to improve K-12 computer science
0: education. Is Big Bird the next Mark Andreessen? The creators behind Sesame Street are turning to Silicon Valley and startups from elsewhere to reach a new generations of kids and devices. Sesame Workshop has teamed up with Collaborative Fund to create a $10 million Sesame Plus Collab Fund to assist fledgling entrepreneurs providing educational, health, and social welfare services for children. Stephen Dunn, the CEO of Sesame Workshop, said, We can be on the cutting edge of creativity and education, but to be on the cutting edge of technology, that's not our spot. History tells us that it's not established players that create new solutions. It's new companies and startups.
1: I'm not good at math is a phrase that we often hear when we try to split the bill at dinner. Now, online retailer Amazon wants to do something about it. The company has launched a new initiative called With Math I Can to encourage a growth mindset in math classrooms across the country. It's an effort to encourage kids to embrace the learning process along with its challenges instead of focusing on just doing the rote exercises that you normally associate with math. Anchoring the program is a family and classroom pledge to abandon a fixed mindset along with an online collection of resources from the likes of ClassDojo, Teaching Channel, and, of course, TenMarks, an Amazon company.
0: Not all Internet access is created equal. That's the thesis of a new report from the Joan Gantz Cooney Center examining how low-income families with school-aged children access the Internet. Even though 9 in 10 families have a connection, half of them say their Internet is too slow for important things like homework. They are what the Cooney Center calls underconnected. Only 6% of discounted internet services are reaching low-income families. But there are a couple of good things on the horizon. A big school district in Southern California is putting Wi-Fi on school buses.
1: It's a start. Digital citizenship is a must-learn for today's students. And EdSearch columnist Kayla Delzer has found the perfect hands-on approach. She lets students run her second-grade classroom's Twitter and Instagram accounts. She says... Wouldn't you prefer to have your students write the story of your classroom rather than someone else? Check out all the lesson that this North Dakota teacher has learned, as well as what it takes to create a digital citizenship boot camp.
0: There are reasons to hate technology when you're a teacher. Ashley Lamb Sinclair, Kentucky's Teacher of the Year, has a big one. Ed tech companies don't talk to teachers when they design products. But this self-described tech-loathing teacher and EdSurge 50 States writer stumbled upon a revelation when she partook in the D.C.-based Redesign Challenge. She came back with this post on how to get tech-averse teachers on the bandwagon. Check it out at edsurge.com.
1: Now we'll tell you about some upcoming EdSurge events, starting with a Twitter chat about adaptive learning. On Thursday, February 11th at 5 p.m. Pacific, We'll take to Twitter to share more insights from our adaptive learning research. The conversation will be happening at the hashtag EdSurgeAL. Hope to see you there.
0: Going on, our next edition of EdSurge Shark Tank. Three literacy companies that support English language learners will test their tools with three sharp teacher sharks. Expect tough questions. Join us on February 16th at 5 p.m. Pacific. Register online to participate. Is an EdTech accelerator right for you? With more than a dozen options in the U.S. alone, how do you decide which one is the right one for your company? Rudy Blanco of DreamYard Prep, Alexandra Diricles of VidCode, Stephen Hodes of Digital Promise, and Anand Radia of University Ventures will help entrepreneurs decide at our free New York City Meetup on February 24th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern.
1: For more details on all upcoming events and to register, please visit edsearch.com e. Yes, that's edsearch.com slash the letter e.
0: And now it's time for ka-chings. Cha-ching. <laughs> Learnsprout, developer of student data analytics, has kept quiet since last summer. Now we know why. The San Francisco startup was acquired by Apple. Terms were not disclosed, but the acquisition happened shortly before the company announced a slew of new features to make managing student accounts and syncing up with student information systems a lot easier.
1: Twigworld, a Scottish startup that offers a library of more than 3,000 short videos on STEM subjects, has raised $5 million in a Series B round led by Imperial College London. Founded in 2009, Twig World claims its videos are used by more than 80,000 teachers across 72 countries.
0: College Ave has raised a $20 million round led by Comcast Ventures. Founded in 2014, the Milwaukee-based company has created a marketplace for current college students to seek out private lenders. It claims that students have already made $1 billion in loan requests through the platform. Excelligence
1: Learning Corporation, an educational products retailer, has acquired Really Good Stuff Incorporated. Yes, that's the name of a company that sells K-8 products and teaching tools. Financial terms of the deal were not disclosed.
0: This week for our deep dive, we're bringing you the Ignite talks from our recent meetup in San Francisco on adaptive learning.
2: All right, so just a little quick run-through for through our agenda. Um, first and foremost, my colleague and our president, Tyler McMally, is going to share a little bit about the adaptive learning research that we recently published with the support of Pearson. And uh, we'll follow that with six speakers and six perspectives. We have uh, investors and former teachers share their take on what adaptive learning means to them. We'll follow it with a Q&A, and then we'll wrap it up with some networking mingle. So what does that sound uh, one thing I want to remind you guys is um, for tonight's, if you want to tweet about tonight's meetup, use the hashtag EdSurgeAL, AL, AL standing for adaptive learning. So with that said, I'd like to introduce our president of EdSurge,
3: Tyler McDowell. So I'm going to cheat. I have a script here because I like. good managers. I know just enough about this project to be dangerous. The person who should be here is Christina Quattrochi, and we couldn't clone her. She's running a blended learning workshop in Texas as we speak. But I was involved at the beginning, some of the research, and then at the end. And I want to summarize a couple of the reasons why we got this, what we did, and what some of the results are. And I'm going to do it very quickly because we have an entire separate website dedicated to this work. Uh, So why should we research adaptive products? Tony brought up we've been talking about adaptive for decades now. And there's one reason first, which is money. <laughs> Over the last five years, hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into so-called adaptive learning products with a handful of the companies that are up there that in some form, shape, or another, claim to be adaptive. But there's a more there's a more substantial reason. And That's about the potential. And so um, the potential is really about another often used term, personalized learning. And from our perspective, adaptive learning isn't or perhaps shouldn't be an end. It's a means to an end. It's a means to personalizing learning. It means that if we can understand and support each student at where they are and offer them the right assessments, the right content, the right pacing, we can provide a learning environment that's most effective for her Over the last year, there was a lot of articles that written about adaptive learning in a lot of the mainstream uh, internet press, at least things like Slate and NPR. Um, but while the outside world was talking about all of this potential, we found that a lot of the people in education technology, the companies, the schools, were still struggling to communicate what adaptive is, what it's possible to do. So if you ask a teacher what their favorite adaptive tool was, it was sometimes the case they'd say, oh well, tool X is my favorite adaptive learning tool. And it turns out it was not an adaptive tool. Mm-hmm. And if you were asked a company whether their tool is adaptive or not, often they would answer, yes, our tool adapts. And then something else would happen. They'd like say take a look at our research paper or at our website, and you would find a discussion about platforms. These are real statements on websites in my paper, so I'll probably give any the any. So on the left-hand side, the platform is a flexible, scalable system for delivering adaptive learning experiences and predictive analytics across arbitrary collections of content in different learning environments. <laughs> okay. Uh, second one is... We help people acquire and quantify knowledge. Using proven core principles of learning science, our platform facilitates the creation of durable, flexible, and usable knowledge and provides insight into current and predictive performance. And as I was reading these, getting more spin I had another idea of what I was reminded of something else I had listened to recently. And
4: had trouble making the
3: sense of it. these are the kinds of situations that EdSearch is really most interested in. Stepping into a situation where multiple sides of an ecosystem are perhaps using the same word, but they mean very different things. Or perhaps three people in the same company are using the same word and it means different things. And so over the last six months, the EdSearch team led by Christina, supported by Pearson's Open Ideas Project, worked to tackle this question of what's inside the black box adaptive learning and we want to create a simple way for educators and for companies to communicate and talk about adaptive in a way that everybody understood and so i want to highlight just a few things what we learned about adaptive and like i said we have much more behind us so as we concluded our research we had three insights number one adaptive learning is an enabler it's like every other piece of technology out there it's a tool that needs to be used by people in service of an objective so in this case it works best when it works with the teachers existing knowledge and expertise and instructional approaches the second thing we found is that choice matters with adaptive if it's just a black box and a student and a teacher has no idea about what happens with inputs and how those outputs come back it turns out it's less effective What we found is that adaptive learning tools that give choice to students and teachers are the most powerful. And then finally, engagement is an early indicator. Student behavior with tools is perhaps the best current evidence we have. Right now, there are a few concrete proofs of how adaptive learning affects the learning process. There are lots of white papers, and there are lots of research, but looking for those proof points was difficult. So the conclusion we came to was you need to ask students how they learn with these tools. If things are working well, they'll navigate through them. They'll show which skills they've mastered and what they still need to work on. The students will be able to articulate their thoughts on what they're learning and why. Also, through this research, we created a framework to think about adaptive tools adapt in different ways. What we found is that we could not find a single tool that adapted to them in all three ways in terms of content, assessment, and sequence we did break down, we looked at 25 tools, and we categorized how exactly they adapted. It was a really interesting process. I sat in on a few phone calls where we talked to the company, and we said, tell us about how your product adapts. And they spoke for five minutes. And then we said, OK, now let's go step by step. The student answers a question, then what happens? OK, then what happens next? Then what happens next? And if we ask the question five different ways, we got to a conclusion. So like I said, If you want to find out what adaptive learning is all about, please check out our site. You can access it either at edsearch.com or through this video link. It's actually, and we told it up, it's been the result of thousands of man and woman hours of work. We had a large team of researchers, analysts, designers, engineers to put together something that would be not only useful, but interactive, and would work to help make smarter decisions. Before we get to this last point, some of the other examples that we had are created quiz. So if you are in a school and you're thinking about is an adaptive tool the right thing for me? We can ask you 12 questions and help you come to the conclusion. Is it an adaptive product the right for you? And which type of adaptivity? should you be looking at a lot more on the site this was all just a big teaser thank you for taking the time there's a link one more time and we now want to focus tonight on what the people who live and breathe adaptive products do for a living so with that i'm going to pass it back to tony he's going to introduce the speakers thank you
2: Alright, so we've got six, a lot of six speakers who will be sharing their thoughts uh, tonight. Um, we're gonna go back to that Just wanna do a quick run through of who they are. So leading off, we've got Angela Estrella. She is a professional development associate and an instructional coach for history at the Stanford Graduate School of Education. I should <laughs> we got all about Jane Doria, she's the Associate Director of Innovation at Kip Bay Area Schools. And then we have someone from Pearson, uh, Johan Larson, who is the lead for the Center for Digital Data Analytics and Adaptive Learning, who will be sharing a little bit about the company's approach to adaptive learning. Uh, and we have invested, uh, someone from the investment and funding perspective, From part. We got Esther from New School Ventures Fund, New Schools Venture Fund. Uh, and then followed that by James Merrill. James, I'm sorry for this photo. I couldn't find a higher <laughs> photo of I really good at ice cream. really good at ice cream He's a talent development manager from Oakland Unified School District. And then we'll wrap up with Lena. She is the senior manager of blended learning at Spider Public Schools. And after these six talks are over, we're going to open it up for Q&A. You should feel free to ask questions of any of our wonderful speakers or of Tyler about uh, any questions about, about adaptive learning. So uh, with that said, I believe we'll start off with um, Emma, Angela. Right. So as soon as she clicks the timer, the timer is on. All right, so I'm Angela and I'm an instructional coach at the Center for Excellence in Teaching.
4: Graduate School of Education, and before becoming an instructional coach, um, I was a high school teacher for nine years in San Jose, and was an early adopter of educational technology in the classroom. I'm also a parent. My daughter's in the fourth grade and attends our neighborhood public school. So tonight, I offer insights on the pitfalls and potential of adaptive learning from the perspective of a parent. So let's go back to, t- to 2011, on um, my attitudes about the potential of adaptive learning, we're at the we're at an all-time high. <laughs> my daughter's school was running a pilot on two different adaptive learning platforms, one for math and one for reading. This was part of a larger district initiative um, to close the opportunity gap. You know, the, the pilot was deemed a success by the powers that be. In the following school year, my daughter was um, my daughter entered the first grade and she began spending time each week on two adaptive learning tools. One for math and one for reading. This graph here shows the total number of minutes my daughter spent on just one of the adaptive learning programs over the course of the school year. I now have four years of data on my daughter's performance on this particular adaptive learning platform. And my biggest takeaway from the data so far is my ability to predict which days she has a substitute, um, based on spice of usage on a particular day. You know, I, I see it now, adaptive learning as a solution for the substitute teacher shortage. Um, You know, this graph below shows my attitudes about the use of adaptive learning. You can see that my attitudes about the use in an all-time low in the third third grade. Um, as you can see, there was a noticeable peak in her usage of these tools, which also just happens to coincide with the first year she took ESPATH the state assessment for measuring progress on common core standards. You know, my own score of it would be uh, for adaptive learning standards not met, and why? Because of deficit dashboards. I believe one of the major pitfalls of adaptive learning is not in its implementation, but design flaws on how it captures and displays data. These design flaws engineer deficit dashboards that present percentages, graphs, indicators on how to fix students. I will. I don't believe this is intentional at all. But as um, Greg said, what we assess is a reflection of what we value. Similarly, I believe the data we choose to capture and display reflects what we value. So you know, I'm an educator and I do experiments all the time on my kid. And um, I was observing her um, as she was on one of her adaptive learning platforms, and quickly was able to see that she had a clear strategy, and this was driven by. Easy Right? So she, when given a choice, she always chose what was easy. And you know, from her perspective, she thought she was doing really well because level equals ability, and she knew she was at like, one of the highest levels um, in the class. You know, so after I did the experiment of uh, observing her you know, engage with this adaptive learning platform, I logged into the um, parent dashboard, and these are the messages that I got. Not proficient on recent lessons, um, may need attention. Um, and then usage is really valued. Like there's lots of information to indicate, oh, you know, uh, your daughter has spent more time. Um, so my reaction when I see this dashboard, you know, I, I think there are some choices we have. You can, the choice to email. The, um, my, the the teacher go like what's going on an intervention at home oh my, my daughter might need more practice yeah she's gonna love that that would immediately make her not want to engage with it as well or I could deactivate right I could just log out from the platform and that's what I, that's actually what I did. Um, so because I wonder does having access to all this data empower parents or play on the fear of great expectations parents have for their kids. And so what, what I want to say is like I reject the notion that every click counts. Not every click needs to count, and sometimes you need a clean slate. As a parent, I'm concerned about the large amount of data that's being collected on our kids, and how that data is being used to shape learning trajectories and what my daughter's teachers know about what she learns. Um, this is my daughter right here. This is where like, the, 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 the impact goes fast. <laughs> but I want to leave with this. You know, I believe that technology can amplify great teaching, and create meaningful learning opportunities for all students. Adaptive learning has potential to be a powerful tool for teachers and families, but we still have a lot of room for improvement we still have a lot to learn, and we have a great lineup of speakers who are gonna tell you um, a lot of what they've learned about adaptive learning. All
2: right. Thanks so much, Angela. All right, so next we have Jenny Doherty. Jenny are you are you here, are you here? there you are, there we are. Well save is yours and yours.
5: As you can see, 77% of our students qualify for free and reduced lunch, and 95% of our students are of color. The communities that our students come from have an 8% college completion rate. Our mission is to change that. Our reality is this, and this represents a typical 5th grade classroom, in which, as you can see with the colors represented here, Many different grade levels are actually accessible by our students. In order to get our students from here to victory, we need to meet our students where they are. And to do that, we're leveraging adaptive resources. To meet them where they are, we're leveraging adaptive assessments and to retire faster and better than ever before. We're using those adaptive assessments to evaluate and improve adaptive content. What I love is that I have a data team, and they use these adaptive assessments in order to make these incredible predictions and help us establish goals. While I appreciate their work, I'm on the innovation team and leading it because when those predictions aren't to and through college, it's up to us to break them and to use adaptive resources and rely on excellent teachers to ensure that that happens. So we use adaptive content to improve outcomes in a couple different ways, but one thing I just want to clarify Those didn't already know it that are in this room, preparing to teach fifth grade math, for example, is not the same thing as preparing to teach the fifth graders that are in your math classroom. Okay.
4: It's like literally,
5: I'm I'm a a competitive runner, and this old thinking about teaching was like running 5K. You won't fail if you stay on the path. what we realized with adaptive assessments is, oh my gosh, our students from, just because they're fifth graders, that doesn't mean anything. Literally this year, this is what our fifth grade cohorts. There are students from kindergarten to eighth grade ready in that class. That's really hard, that's tough hard hard for the teacher that has to teach there. So we're leveraging adaptive content and adaptive assessment data in a couple different ways. One is to evaluate what works. There's a lot of different programs out there, and we're meeting fidelity of use, and we're dang sure to use our math data to figure out which of these programs were they using when they had exceptional growth. Are these programs getting in the way of learning? Sort of like the Hippocratic Oath. What we're finding is pretty awesome. Turns out they don't get in the way of learning. And in fact, can help us move students from being open enrollment ready, to state university, and ultimately UC and beyond. More importantly, it indicates classrooms that we need to go check out because we're moving past fidelity of use and our teachers are helping us understand a new level of use, which is excellence in use, meaning they're using the program in ways that the company didn't tell us to do. Right? They're figuring out something about it, whether it's progress, time, setting, whatever it is, and the way they're using it is exceeding expectations. So we're setting excellence in use and sharing those expectations across our region, so every teacher can have the same benefits. We're also using adaptive content to inform adapt. Sorry, adaptive assessment data to inform adaptive content. So those math scores are now used to auto-generate personalized Khan Academy playlists for every single student. Khan Academy has great missions, but again, they're grade level, and as we saw before, not every fifth grader is ready for fifth grade math. So, bridging those two types of adaptive uh, resources is
6: really important.
5: Lastly, we're finally this year able to use everything we've learned in the past three years from evaluations to inform whole school instructional design. And taking into consideration the methods, time and space, and curriculum that's used and tailored to every single student. We're also able to pivot in mid-year. Today's lesson is simple. A lot of people, when they think about adaptive, focus on the changes that the program makes based on the user's use of it. I would suggest that we pay more attention to how it actually changes the user's outcomes more than anything.
2: Very much, Jenny. I think one of the things that always surprised me about education technology is you can design a tool and have a you know have, have a con- con- conception of how it's supposed to be used or how teachers and students will use it, but you know sometimes you find that the most amazing results come when teachers and students use it outside of the use cases that the company initially projected. So. Will be cool. All right, next up we have Johan from uh, Pearson to, s- to share a little bit more about you know how they're tackling this
7: question of adaptive learning. So, Johan, the stage is yours. Right. Uh, so my name is Johan. Um, I lead the uh, the Center for Digital Data Analytics and Adaptive Learning at Pearson, and um, we are essentially an R and D incubator for the company when it comes to adaptive learning, and um, I'm a computer scientist by training, uh, but I think that the, um, the talk that I will give for the next five minutes might be a little bit of a surprise to those who uh, are technology-oriented like myself. You know, we, we, I think we can all agree that adaptive learning is the thing that everyone's talking about. It's the buzzword. Everybody's doing it. Um, but it kind of feels sometimes like we've, we've built this piece of technology and we're trying to make it fit versus actually perhaps starting by defining the, the problem area or we actually exploring if there are any kind of opportunities for innovation to do something new, right? And uh, some people might actually argue that uh, in order to actually disrupt education in a a positive way. You need to understand the environment that, you know, you're going to work within, right? So, you know, meet Admit. And Admit comes from a world where, you know, everything is awesome. Um, But it also comes from a world where everything is exactly the same, right? They they all have the same goal, which is perfectly fine. But there is only one way of achieving that goal and that is by actually following the detailed instructions that are written in the booklet that they all have, right? And um, I think when it comes to education, we might disagree with that a little bit, right? Some might say that the traditional way of doing teaching and learning is this unidirectional way of fire hosing information between a mentor and a mentee, this, you know, there's only one way to do instruction, only one way to do practice, only one way to do assessment, right? This average learner dilemma we're in, right? And those of you who have been students, which I'm assuming all of you have, and those of you who have kids who are now students will probably disagree with the statement that all students are alike, right? That is a fundamental disagreement, the current educational structure, is a fundamental disagreement between what we think adaptive learning is supposed to be about, what it's supposed to support. So where do we start? If we're not going to design adaptive learning from the top down, starting with the technology, if we're going to start by figuring out what's broken or where there are areas for improvement, where do we start? We start by looking at the ends, right? Are you supporting the teacher? Are you supporting the student? Are you supporting someone else? And what's your goal? Are you gonna support instruction? Or are you facilitating practice? And you can have two stakeholders that both have the same goal. They both need some kind of support for practice, right? But the implementation of how you do that with technology is going to be vastly different because they are two different human beings with two different needs and requirements and responsibilities. So the key message is that adaptive learning isn't this one thing, it is something. Something that you get from this pool of a lot of different adaptive learning varieties. Experiences, whatever you want to call it. And once you figure out exactly what that framing is, what that box is, who your stakeholders are, and what you're actually going to achieve, you can graduate to the next level, which is what we call the six elements of adaptive learning. It's what you have as an instructor, if you're teaching a course, and it's also what you will need to build that activity. Starting with what we call the domain model. The domain model is the definition of the course, the definition of the learning exercises, the objectives, the skills, the prerequisites, and most importantly, the relationships between all of those things, because it's essentially going to be the roadmap that adaptive whatever is going to follow. Number two is going to be the student model, which is basically you know, the algorithms, the math, the probabilities, the systems, best Assumption about what it thinks the student knows about those things listed in the Domain Model. But the instructional activities are the actual interaction point between the student world, or the teacher's world, and learning the machine. Right? It's where student answers a mathematical question, where students read passages in English. But to activity is the thing you need to collect data. Right? So, big sign. We need data. It's the fuel. It's the fuel for everything. We can't do additivity without data. That doesn't mean that we need all the data in the world. We don't even need data that can be used to personally But We need data nonetheless. Because data is what we're going to apply the observations to. The observations are our questions. The things we want to know that the data can tell us about the students. So we can build the student models to tell us something that ultimately goes into the instructional model which you can think of as the teacher in adaptive learning. It is the thing that decides that when you see this it's remediation, when you see something else it's retention, it's effective to the teacher in adaptive learning. So all of what I've said today kind of makes adaptive learning sounds like a little bit of a root. And are there continuing ways of doing adaptive learning? Perhaps, I have no idea. But I can tell you one thing for sure, is that you're not going to get one of those things correct if you start to top-down designing the technology and pay less attention to who your stakeholders are. And if you have all of the ingredients you need to do adaptive learning, because we're there to solve a particular problem that promotes student learning, not just build a piece of technology that we think belongs somewhere. Okay? Thank you. Great.
2: Thank you very much, Johan. 43 quintillion, that is quite a new number. Um, off of that, I'd like to welcome Esther. She's an associate partner from the school venture fund under the SAGE, Esther at
6: the
8: well, hi there. I'm Esther with B Schools Venture Fund, and in case um, you haven't heard of us, we are uh, we've been around 18 years now. We've invested about 250 million dollars in the space in over 150 education entrepreneurs. So that is divided between schools, education tools, and a few areas. In education tools, um, our tools serve about 60 million students and their teachers. I work specifically with New Schools Ignite, which is a part of New Schools that focuses on market gaps in the education technology space. So, we're focused on places where teachers and students are saying um, that products on the market don't work for them, their needs aren't being met. And we're using philanthropic dollars to make equity free uh, investments, so essentially grants, in uh, products in these particular spaces. And how we do this is we listen very deeply to our end users, so our educators. Our edtech um, purchasers, and then we also listen very deeply to entrepreneurs who are building the products. Um, and through a series of both we'll published research and these interviews, we figure out what our next market gap should be in we should be best. And I have to put in a plug that our next market gap challenge will be announced in two weeks. So stay tuned. Um, our first one was in K-12 science, where we heard loud and clear there was a gap across the K-12 market. So. I will be talking about adaptive learning um, through the context of what we learned as we um, went through our market research for our science gap. So, in general, um, for over a century, the way that we've looked at education is we know each student is different, um, but we've said education is a one-size-fits-all uh, solution. Um, What we're finally saying now with the rise of adaptive learning and personalized learning is the reality is one size fits all does not fit. So what that means for the transition between traditional instruction and adaptive learning is this. Traditional instruction basically sees assessment as a way to do an autopsy on what you didn't learn. Um, Then it completely ignores what you do not know and moves on. Adaptive learning sees assessment as a formative gauge for where you need to move next based on what you don't know. So instead of doing an autopsy, it's more of a diagnostic um, to figure out how you can master material at your own pace. So what this means in the context of science when we talk about gaps and how adaptive learning can uh, function to close those gaps is, as we all know, we don't rank so well. Uh, compared to our international peers on PISA. If you look specifically at the subgroups that were the most interested in at New Schools Venture Fund, low-income and minority kids, um, you see the gaps are even wider. So this is data within the US itself. Uh, So in order to figure out what to do moving from a gap and adaptive learning as a potential solution to address a portion of that gap, We listen to the experts, so our educators. And I want to share with you today uh, the five things that educators told us about their thoughts on adaptive learning. First, they're incredibly excited about the potential for students to catch up on skills they don't yet have. So to use the example earlier of the fifth grade math classroom, you have students coming in at a variety of levels. And adaptive learning can be a great way to catch up students who might be at a third grade level in order to get to the fifth grade level. However, uh, educators have a lot of hesitations about adaptive learning. First, uh, they assume that adaptive learning emphasizes uh, more of a sort of full content spectrum as opposed to supplemental content. Um, And they often are frustrated when they want their students to use this content and there's not enough of a library to scaffold up and down to where the student needs to be. Um, Second, as they're implementing adaptive learning for the first time, they notice that their students aren't used to this immediate feedback. At no other point in life have they constantly gotten feedback on what they're doing wrong, and there's some amount of growth mindset that has to be developed within the student to use this tool best. Um, Next, teachers, uh, this is probably the thing you hear the most. Um, Often see adaptive content as a way to drill on topics as opposed to gain conceptual knowledge about topics. Um, So teachers would tell us that if they wanted their students to do practice and drills, they would sometimes um, have them do adaptive content. If they wanted to learn conceptual um, sort of topics, they would go other routes. Um, And finally, teachers were concerned about uh, adaptive content disrupting the type of student collaboration that they wanted in their own classrooms. We also uh, heard a a really great question from one of our educators that asked, is adaptive even adaptive? When we think about what adaptive learning is, um, you're optimizing for a particular answer by a student and then deciding where to move next. You're not necessarily optimizing for knowing the. Why a student doesn't get an answer right, um, and focusing really deeply on the conceptual knowledge behind that. Uh, so still a lot of work to be done on those algorithms. Um, when we think about is adaptive enough for science, specifically, science has so many applications in the world, and a lot of adaptive content that we see is corporate code that um, sort of covers a wide range of uh, science concepts but doesn't really go into real world applications. So I will breeze through these slides, but um, these are our uh, first investments as part of the science for Work. We have 15 um, companies, and some things that we're really interested in, uh, oh, one of some of the reasons why we invested in these companies based on teacher feedback, is we see that these companies can create hands-on activities, user-generated content, and connection to the physical world as they're teaching science. Um, next, we're really interested in delivering seamless uh, access to valuable content for teachers and students where they have control. Um, and finally, we're really interested in integrating with other subjects, bringing cultural relevancy and fun to learning, um, and bringing in rural-world applications. Uh, we know that the market for uh, education technology is steadily growing. Uh, on the side, from school spending, and also on uh, the venture side. Um, and really think there's a great opportunity to invest in all sorts of ed tech products, including adaptive learning products. So what uh, will the future of adaptive learning be? Um, I think it will really be addressing those four points that are brought up by teachers um, and really meeting their needs and continuing to listen to the end user as part of the product design process. Thank you.
2: Next up, we've got James Harrell from the Oakland Unified School District. So, James see that Tell us what they're about.
9: Nice good um, so there are two fish swimming. Uh, another fish passes them on her way past. She says, how's the water today? The two fish, whenever she leaves, look at each other and say, what the hell is water? No, <laughs> There we go. What the hell is water? So David Foster Wallace originally wrote that for a commencement speech, but it's often how I feel when I'm talking to ed tech companies that are selling adaptive learning to our district. For me, I seem to be asking folks, how's the water? And they're telling me about how they're going to disrupt water by ending, meaning, and buzzword. So I'm not in ed tech, uh, and this is the section of tonight that's probably going to focus a bit more on the peril and the promise of adaptive learning. In my work, I oversee 19 schools and help manage, coach, and evaluate 400 teachers uh, in the Oakland Hills and West Oakland community. If you're not familiar with Oakland, it's a lovely place. And the Oakland Hills are the types of schools where PTAs fundraise literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to ensure that their kids have art and music class every single year. My community in West Oakland um, is predominantly impoverished. It was a high-trauma community. when I think of ed tech or adaptive learning, I'm trying to think of how that tool is going to work in my water, understanding that I have literally every type of water uh, possible. The right ed tech in the right hands can truly catalyze student learning, but the right ed tech in the wrong hands, or unwilling hands, is like putting a goldfish in the ocean. It just doesn't work. So trying to make this time together as useful as possible, I thought of the three biggest challenges I have for whatever folks are make ed tech solutions. First, teachers are expected to be superheroes. Uh, working in my community especially, you are expected to be a nurse, a psychologist, uh, and, and then actually instruct as well. Adding anything else, especially when it comes to technology, can be a huge barrier. In some of my schools, people still don't know, and whenever you see them type, they do it with one finger. Those same people are able to teach kids how to read and make them love coming to school every day, and it's truly amazing. So whenever you suddenly tell them that they're failing, that they're not good at their job, and that they, their entire career has been false, brings a lot of emotions and makes things really difficult to do. Second, there's really a clear vision when it comes to this work in uh, communities where there are struggling with schools. When we think of highly successful but classrooms and schools, we're thinking of highly successful classrooms, and that's not every school, and that's not every class. Third, uh, tech companies, especially if you're selling to Open Unified or an urban school district, rarely reflect demographics of the students that they're selling. Urban school districts are often populated by folks by communities of color and those living in poverty. So this presents a really uncomfortable reality for folks uh, as privileged communities are selling solutions to those that are uh, challenged. So, moving and trying to get us all into the same fishbowl. How do we take them, how do we take all those problems and try to generate the right solutions? So first, we have to listen to teachers. I think it's great that so many of the same speakers have emphasize that and emphasize using the users for it. Um, one particular note, if you do work in ed-tech or adaptive learning and you plan an upgrade, please let everyone know ahead of time, um, so <laughs> <laughs> destroyed my life multiple times. <laughs> uh, Second of all, I'd like you to advocate for training for your teachers. Be honest about what your product can do and how it works best. If you don't provide that uh, type of training and that type of advocacy, the district folks don't know and we just assume that it's too and then finally, reflect and discuss systems of oppression and how your product is actually addressing them. Um, a lot of the organizations that I see have these double bottom lines, but whenever I read headlines about them, I tend to see them about focusing on financial growth and not necessarily their social impact. Thanks.
4: Thank you so much, James, for
2: keeping it real and letting us know about the uh, realities and the pitfalls and an ecosystem that can be very optimistic to the point where it's a little bit naive sometimes, I think. Um, So finally, uh, we have Elena, who's going to wrap up our speakers, but before, uh, I'd like to remind you that we will have a brief uh, Q&A session after Elena has finished, finished talking, so I hope Johan uh, you know, um, and... Kind of used to it right now. So, I uh, all hope all the next speakers will kind of still come right here at the front of the stage afterwards. So, um, with that said, I'd like to welcome Elena from Aspire Public Schools. Hi, everyone.
6: Okay, I'm the last one because I have to be really, really quick here. Um, so, my presentation is called Adaptive Learning: A Square Peg and a Round Pole. Question mark at the end is going to deliver, I hope you make a choice at the end and figure out what you're so here's our story, in 2011, Aspire Public School started this journey on hybrid learning. And hybrid learning to us was all about how do we take adaptive technology place it in the hands of students and help differentiate the classroom experience that students receive from teachers and from technology. So we ran a bunch of these pilots, we learned a ton from these pilots. We also learned that hybrid was a much better term for our car, not a school system or a school one, completely rebranded, uh, scaled this work to 15 schools in California. And we scaled this work because we saw that students learn better in a model that let them have access to content that was really adopted and had teachers' friendship instruction many more times in a day. And now, today, there's pilots all over the country. There's school systems all over the country that really value adaptive learning and personalized learning. And that's great because a lot of these systems will think about how do we be better meet our students where they are. Um, And they help us avoid classrooms that look a little bit like this, right? So that could be a classroom of the past, potentially. Um, And our adaptive learning classrooms, our personalized learning classrooms, help us meet our students where they are and honor their strengths and their weaknesses and create experiences that are much more suited to their needs. And that's really, really great. But this is the school system that we currently operate in. We don't necessarily operate in the school system that's completely flexible. We have grade levels that are based on age. We have groupings that are based on time. And by the end of a year, you better move on, regardless of whether you learned something or not. So that's pretty challenging. At least that's the world we live in today. Adaptive learning looks a lot more like this, which is really, really great. Because in theory, you can have a third-grade student working on first-grade vocab, third-grade comprehension, fourth-grade math. But we still have 2nd grade teachers that are teaching 2nd grade students. That is the reality of where we are today. We still have 3rd grade teachers that have 3rd grade students that have to take instruction at the end of the year based on 3rd grade standards, regardless of where, that's where they are. This is an example of a test or, an, or a question 3rd graders might have to answer at the end of this year. It doesn't necessarily matter where they started from and what adaptive learning is doing for them. They need to answer this question if they don't, they'll feel like this and they'll be not proficient. And no one wants to be called up, but that's our reality. Let's look at how this looks in adaptive learning programs. This is an example of a data dashboard from Lexia online tool. This is data for a third grade book class of students. And levels 13 and 14, oh, my God, not Levels 13 and 14 um, represent third grade content. And you can see, look at how varied these students are. The red and the green and the yellow represent different abilities and proficiencies. What about the students that are all white? They just didn't do anything, right? Not necessarily. This is actually what that data dashboard looks like for a teacher. And this is great because we can have a tool that helps us serve students in this giant range from second grade content to fifth grade content. If you're staring at this and you think this is confusing, you should, because this is pretty confusing. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, sorry, I can show you a bigger <laughs> picture uh, This box represents what a third grade teacher is actually teaching. This is a reality, third grade teacher has a scope and sequence it's based on third grade level skills. But the students are all over the place, so where does Adaptive actually fit into that classroom? Now let's look at math data for that same group of students. Totally different dashboard, looks confusing again. You have some students, and one student that's just in second grade content. You have another student that's in fourth grade content. And the teacher's scope and sequence today, if that teacher is going into class, probably is catering to these students right here about halfway through third grade. So adaptive learning is great, but what does that actually mean for the teacher? And this is where that square peg around round hole comes in place. We have one system that lets teachers focus on differentiating instruction, that lets students work at their level of like this content that's supposed to meet them where they are, and that's really, really great. We have another system that groups students based on grades, based on age, and based on how well they did on summer, assessments at the end of the year. Those are the standards of their healthy, right? Not necessarily for bad reasons, We have to hold our students to some standards so that they prepare to exit our schools and compete in the world after they exit our school and finish college. So this is really, really tough for teachers. This is messy. This is not super simple, straightforward. And there's a balance that we have to strike. We have to be able to strike some balance between adaptive content and grade level content, at least in our current education system. That's our reality. So if you're an entrepreneur building a product, that's why you're here today. Think about how to build great adaptive content like use software, use technology, make content really, really great, but allow for some assignability because that's the reality that teachers are going to have to deal with. Think about how your product is going, going to incorporate grade right, level standards. That's what students are still held <coughs> against. And help teachers accelerate students with actionable data and offline lessons. Don't make this confusing more confusing for them than it has to be. Think about how they're going to take your product and incorporate it into some offline instruction <laughs> And if you're an educator that's super excited about this, which I think many in the room are, start slow and learn to adapt the products and apps. Don't go overboard. Run some little pilots in a class. Plan your day so you can have time to look at data and you know how that data is going to inform instruction and you also know how you're going to spend time teaching still grade-level content giving students high expectations. There is a balance there. Experiment with your class setup with your student pairings think about how you can use furniture to support this model, because that matters too. Um, And consider what's possible beyond the four walls of your classroom. Like, maybe there's some other teachers that have students with similar skill levels, and maybe you could to your students a little bit more based on ability, not always just based on age. And a bunch of schools are doing some of this today, and maybe a lot of you in the room are already, and that's great, and maybe some of you are starting. That's okay too, because this work is really, really challenging. It's not straightforward. It's messy. for teachers that are at the center of this. Um, there's definitely a place for adaptive learning, but it's not the silver bullet that everyone makes it out to be at least, not in our education system as it is today. So consider your classrooms and your products, how you're going to blend adaptive learning with very level standards so students are held to high expectations of the different prepared to succeed in the world that we know the untracked fresh That was fast Thank you. <laughs>
0: you read the adaptive learning guide yet since we've been talking yep no when would i have time to read it since you told me to read it at the beginning of the show
1: since six months ago when we started
0: working on it and you didn't notice i
1: didn't even work here six months ago i want no excuses i want attentive reading
0: well it looks like i need to sign off and get some reading done i'm blake montgomery and i'm tony Wan. until next time
1: This is the Ed Surge Podcast.